Welcome to the Anglers Channel Insider Podcast, presented by Sportsman's Warehouse, your fishing and outdoor store. And here are your hosts, AC Insiders, Danny Blanford and Vance McCullough. Welcome, everybody, to the AC Insider Podcast, brought to you by Sportsman's Warehouse, Mercury Marine, with our friends at Rely on Lithium Battery, providing the juice and, of course, the guys at Strike King always helping make sure we've got good baits and good products to talk about. Vance, we're getting ready to wrap up our last podcast of February, my man. Can you believe it? March is right around the corner. This is, I mean, it's barreling down on us. Make your New Year's plans for 2025. I mean, you know, it's going to be flipping that calendar uh, mighty fast. It's, uh, I guess as you get older, it just goes by faster, huh? Yeah, I think yeah, by definition, right? Each day is a smaller percentage of your life when you get to be our age, man. So they are yeah, just yeah. <laughs> they're in a little blank. <laughs> Somebody told me the other day if I did something, I'd, I'd, I'd get thrown in jail for life. I'm like, well, a life sentence really ain't the deterrent it used to be now, is it? No, no. We've got a pretty good handle on where we think things are going, right? So, <laughs> so much for all the, the dreams and aspirations. No, uh, I tell you, man. Uh, yeah, it's spring, and dude, it is going to be a record high in southern Indiana today. We're going to touch 80. In February. Good gosh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, now, with that said, there's going to be a front roll through on Wednesday, and Wednesday night it's going to get down in the 20s. So we're going to have a 50 or 60 degree temperature swing later this week. But I'm thinking that's going to be one of the last ones, man. There's usually a couple of things like that that roll through, and then they just get weaker and weaker. And I mean, spring is springing. We're seeing it all over the country. I don't know about you, but I geeked out on fishing stuff this weekend. Did you? Uh, yeah. did, did you consume any fishing content? I did. I did. I got on the water a little bit myself. And, uh, you know, even while I was out there, I kind of had the headphones in. I was following along. We had a couple of really good events. They were very interesting, uh, I thought. And and kind of on fisheries, you would think are similar. But, boy, were they one differently? I mean, I mean they were both one, okay, offshore scoping. But the guys, the MLF guys on Santee, I think seven or eight of them, actually went up shallow and was kind of old school in it you know flipping the jig around and some mm-hmm. kind of fun stuff like that one of my buddies was texting me we were like man this looks like a fishing tournament this is this is fun and then the Bassmaster side all 10 of the guys that made it the sunday were were offshore scoping if you went shallow you tried to play that shallow bite you didn't make the championship round and uh it's like our buddy john cox we talked to man he missed it by just if that guy didn't make the cut fishing shallow you kiss it goodbye and he missed it by a little bit but, yeah, yeah, you know, great tease. Uh, this week we get a chance to talk with John, and we're on a bit of a tape delay. You know, we caught John before he headed to Toledo Bend because he was he- basically he was loading the truck up for I don't remember what it was like six weeks on the road, um, and we got to pick his brain on that topic. You know, forward facing sonar, the the spinning rod versus the brake caster, and all that. But yeah, I watched a ton of content like you. Uh, big shout out to our boy Ricky Bobby best <laughs> Ricky Bosford. I always call him Ricky Bobby. Sorry, Ricky. Bosford. Everybody does. It's all good. Okay, well that makes me feel better. My wife started doing it. She's like, I'm getting more messages from Ricky Bobby, and and so it's stuck here. But Bosford <laughs> is the man. Ricky Bosford and Bass 365, dude. He hit us with like 10 or 12 social videos this week. Um, got to follow the guys. Got to see you know Justin Lucas after he was leading and and Becker. Uh, some of his recaps, and then of course. You know, when it was all said and done, to your point, it was Wheeler, right? It was Wheeler again, uh, number seven for him. So yeah. props to that dude. He showed us he can win them on the banks. He can win them on ledges. He can win them suspended out in the middle of the lake, but he can win them. So, uh, yeah, 
the content was good. We got another good winner. We had a good event. And on the bass side, uh, that was fun to watch. You know, one thing that jumped out at me, did you notice uh, Robert G in the hunt? Do you remember? Yes. Do you yes. remember hearing about Robert G on the podcast six weeks or so ago from Drew Gill? Drew Gill, Drew, Drew yeah. mentioned that. Said he was a hammer. Look out for that guy. And uh, boy, Drew wasn't lying. Robert G, he scared the uh, scared the Century Club Mark himself there this week and and threatened to win. He he did really well. Finished top five first ever mm -hmm. event. And him and a handful of uh, rookies. Danny, you look at the top twenty. One, I'm going to go 21, not 20, because there's a seventh guy, seventh rookie out of the nine. Well, you take the, the well, the nation guy, you got 10 rookies that qualified. Seven of them finished in the top 21 in that event. Has that ever oh. happened before? And why? How? These guys Man, are I don't good. Know. They are good. They're good. And, you know, I, I listen to, you know, I'm a huge fan of Zona. Congratulations to him, by the way, on getting inducted to the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame. Much deserved. Yep. And huge shout out to him. The dude's done an awesome job with everything in the sport. But he was talking about that on live a little bit. And he brought up an interesting thing in a private conversation with Christy. And I don't think you and I have hit on that. But he said, Christy told him, I wish I could just wipe away 30 years of experience. Because that's what keeps guys like Jason on, you know, up shallow doing those things is because he can go to his Rolodex and go through 30 years of history of knowing, man, I caught him on a spinnerbait by stunt, you know, those types of things. And, you know, his comment was with that buried in my brain, it's next to impossible for me to go out there in the middle of the lake and do that. Um, yeah. He can't, he can do it. He doesn't enjoy doing it, but, uh, you know, no, I mean, we, we've all seen Christy on, on the on the board like, like last year. He used it some. We saw him use the technology. It's not that he's a, a Luddite, as they say. He doesn't hate technology. Right. And it's a tool, and he'll use it when he has to. But, man, he's so much more comfortable in his wheelhouse. And, uh, you know, to kind of piggyback on what you said there, it, go to Brock Mosley's uh, Instagram page if you haven't yet. The little meme he had the other day it was like the men in black coming up there and wiping your memory. And he, the captain said something like, there goes 30 years of uh, experience of learning and knowledge, you know what I mean? And, and everybody was kind of laughing and comment. He just nailed it. That's exactly what it is, you know, with, with the new way of doing things that the young guys are embracing so fully and so readily. And they're, they're, they're killing it, man. Yeah. And, and that, that was kind of the back end of Christie's point for them. They don't have 30 years of bank beating yep. experience and power fishing. So to them, the, the allure of the power fishing is not nearly as strong as the allure of just catching bass. Right. Yeah. So that, so the, there's a mentality thing there that's different, you know, and you hit on something too, the, the 30 years out the window on the weekends, I try to catch up with my dad and find out how fishing's been. And, and we powwow on things. Of course he consumes this stuff too, like I do. And we were talking about, I made the comment. I said, you know, I'm kind of pissed. He's <laughs> like, what now? Right. And I said, well, I said, we spent all that time learning and digesting Bassmasters and, and how to approach cover. And I'm talking everything from Bassmasters magazine to knowing bass to Glenn Lau. I mean, dude, I've consumed everything to understand yeah. fish. You know, even my education told me bass are what's called a littoral fish, meaning a shoreline oriented fish. And so 30 years of research and learning and all this stuff. And I realized that, yeah, we, we understand what they do when they're shallow. Uh, nobody told us that 70% of them are out in the middle of the lake all the time. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm kind of pissed because I, 
I would like to have spent the last 30 years studying the full picture, not part of the picture. And, and here's the big question in my mind though, Danny, is 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 that how bass are naturally, or have we pushed them offshore over the last 30 years because we've done nothing but what Bassmaster magazine says? They will adapt. It's like what well, like they said in Jurassic Park, nature finds a way, right? We may have changed their behavior or the ones who don't behave that way may have gotten caught up, caught off mortality rate, caught, kept for dinner by somebody who knows. And, and we've selected for these offshore fish. I wonder now, and I guess it'll be interesting the next 10, 20, 30 years to see if we don't push them back the other way. And I mean, everything runs in cycles, but have bass always been that way or have we changed them? That's, that's the thing kind of buzzing around in my brain now. That's a great point. You know, I don't I don't know the answer to that. You're you're right about selectivity and and pressures. I mean, that's the same with, you know, let's let's jump over to the deer hunting world. Those big bucks that get pressure become nocturnal and then become bigger bucks because they just don't screw around in the daylight. Mm-hmm. Right? So so the environmental conditions did change their behavior which resulted in a a better specimen of animal. So maybe we are doing some of it to ourselves. I mean, isn't that the crux of everything, though? <laughs> don't, don't we make things harder on ourselves every day in life and on the water? So that may be. Yeah. Hey, I tell you, we're not going to solve it today. And good thought-provoking discussion. We're going to come back to it. Let's talk to a man that's smarter than you and I about this. And let's bring in John Cox today. Um, we've got this awesome interview we've been sitting on. And obviously, if there's anybody that can speak to the bank beating versus the ping and a minnow conversation it's john right so yeah uh, let's take a quick break guys let's get a word from our sponsors and come back we are going to talk to mr shallow water himself john cox sportsman's warehouse is your one-stop convenient place to shop whether you're into camping hunting or fishing our expert associates can help you find the gear you need we carry a huge assortment of quality equipment from the best manufacturers in the country and around the world We have guns, ammo, rods, lures, not to mention every kind of outdoor clothing for the whole family. You can shop in one of our fully stocked stores or visit us online at sportsmans.com. Visit Sportsman's Warehouse, shop one of over 130 locations nationwide and growing. At Mercury, there are no limits to the lengths we'll go to make sure you have no limits either. Unlimited adrenaline. Unlimited fun. Unlimited weekend. Except maybe having to go home eventually. Introducing the all-new V8 Mercury Pro XS. Light, quick, efficient. Mercury, go boldly. This segment is brought to you by Mercury Marine, encouraging you to go boldly. All right, welcome everybody, and we're excited today. Anybody that's been listening to the podcast for a long time uh, knows that I am a shallow water river rat stump jumping aluminum boat kind of guy. As far as I'm concerned, that is the art of bass fishing. And today we have one of the experts in that genre of bass fishing joining us. And I'm pretty pumped. Thanks to Vance for hooking us up with fellow Florida angler, Mr. John Cox. John, welcome to the show, man. Oh, hey, guys. man, Thanks for having me on. (laughs) <laughs> hey, I kind of, I teased it in the beginning, but your name comes up a lot because Vance and I have been battling back and forth. We've been talking to lots of anglers and obviously 
past 12 to 18 months has been about the uh, forward-facing sonar revolution. And right, every right. every and every time we that comes up and we talk about it, and uh, I say, man, it's dominating. Vance always says, dude, John Cox doesn't even run a trolling motor or a transducer on his trolling motor sometimes, <laughs> and he does all right. So yeah. Uh, yeah. With that, with that said, Vance, why don't you guys uh, talk a little fishing with us? Yeah, John, that's a, and that's kind of one of the things I want to pick your brain about is um, you and Keith Carson kind of took Keith under your wing and you brought Keith up, and now he's uh, I see him on social media. He threw in the towel the other day and went, <laughs> went did some forward facing stuff and did real well. And I, I saw yeah. you in a boat with him and y'all were scoping the other day. Are you giving up and turning to the dark side? Is that what's happening now- here? Uh, no, I mean, it, it is very, very tempting, you know, and uh, and I see how effective it is and I see, um, you know, the advantages of it 100 percent. But I'm just uh, I'm just not sure. I'm just not I don't want it to ruin the fun that I'm having right now. You know, uh, it, it does seem like it's getting a little tougher, um, you know, to hang with some of them guys. A lot of the checks are getting eaten up by, you know, because everybody's using it, you know, and uh but I mean, last year went pretty good and, you know, I'm just going to keep rolling, just doing what I'm doing. And I mean, I'm loving every second of it. So, um, that's well, the main you, you hit on something there. You hit on something that just, uh, a lot of guys are using it. So a lot of the texts are being claimed that way. Somebody right. asked uh, one of the fishermen, I remember one of the tournaments they had out on the Ozarks a few years back. He's like, why are all these tournaments being won on a vision 110 jerk bait? And the guy said, well, when that's all anybody's throwing, of right. course, we're all going to be one on that. Right. I kind of right. feel like there's some of that effect going on here with the FFS. It's like, can a guy still be competitive without it? Is what I want to know. Right. Can you can you still be competitive without it? I I, I mean, I'm going to try to. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, you know, last year last year went good, but everybody is getting really good at it. The young kids are getting re- the young kids are just uh, bottom line. They're quicker with technology than any of any, you know, the younger you are just, you know, seems like you're born and you're able to, you know, you already know how an iPhone works. You already know how, you know, they're, uh, they're just so much uh, better at that stuff. And uh, man, it's showing, I mean, we, we got tons of, I don't know if we, you saw the tournament last week. Um, I mean, there's tons of, I mean, there's a lot of kids in the tournament where their parents had to sign the, you know, the waiver because they're not 18, you know, and they, and they were getting $10,000 checks. So, I mean, it, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely, it's the whole thing's changing, you know, and, uh, and not that there's anything wrong with it. I, I just don't, you know, you, you look back and a lot of times when I'm staying in room and, uh, you know, with Keith and Alex Davis, Brandon Lester, we watch a lot of old, uh, FLWs and old Bassmasters and, uh, just, you know, you just see a lot of the old techniques that don't seem to be as effective anymore. And I just don't, I don't want to not, I, I mean, that's what I fell in love with fishing, you know, you know, throwing a jig and, you know, flipping or, you know, throwing frog shallow, stuff like that. And, um, I'm just afraid. I know if I put that technology on uh, all those baits, uh, they're just, I'm not going to use them anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at with it, you know? And, and, uh, you know, and then, and then just as a, you know, uh, you know, my, my main sponsor, you know, Pure Fishing and Berkeley and stuff. I mean, like, you know, you just i don't know i just can't see it keep going if everybody's just using jig heads and minnows and stuff you know and yeah you know i 
I I, li- I love having my frog and jigs tied on and you know something to flip with. Yeah. And, you know. and, that, and on the same token, I remember a couple years ago I ran into you. And you turned me on to that Fritz side crankbait. You were at a function mm-hmm. with those guys at Berkeley, and one of the bait developers or whoever kind of like put it in your hand and made you fish with that darn thing. And then you turned around and went out to Rayburn and won a tournament on the thing. So yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm wondering. I noticed a lot of the new stuff Berkeley's coming out with, and I guess everybody is just designed to work well with FFS. Right. Will they also work just as standalone lures, or is there anything there you're going to incorporate into your arsenal? Yeah, I mean, that's what I've been trying to mix it in some. A lot of stuff uh, is is for that, but like the credge and stuff, uh, you know, I've caught some fish on that, you know, throwing it in shallower water and, and you know, just kind of like in your regular jerkbait areas and stuff and just giving it a different look. Um, but, you know, I, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm just... <laughs> I'm just stuck on, you know, how we grew up fishing, you know, and that's, uh, that's kind of what I I just been leaning towards. And, and I just, I I don't know. I just, and nothing against any of the guys out there out in the middle and stuff and pitching to the fish. Cause that's real, realistically, that's what I do a lot of times when they're up shallow, you know, I'm like looking for them visually and throw it out in front of them and lead in them and stuff. And, and, uh, you know, watching a lot of these guys on live and watching how they work those, those fish on forward sonar, uh, it's very similar to the same way I would catch them up shallow. Vance, yeah, Vance I just, and I talked about that before you came on, you know, because mm-hmm. of sight fishing game. And, and he was talking about Shaw and you. And essentially, with the live sonar stuff now, you have the ability to do what you do. You're just not using your – you're using your eyes in a different way. And you right. just exact said that exact thing is that the technique is the same. It's just the – it's how you're watching it. But I'm with you 100%. You guys were talking about Rayburn, and we had Kyle Welcher on the last show. And I told him straight up, like, I was bummed out. Like, I don't want to watch Rayburn and see that. I want, you know. And uh, it was just sad. You know, the guys that were throwing red rattle traps and stuff, like, it's like they were on a different planet. And that bummed me out a little bit. That bummed me out a little bit. Right. Um, You brought something up, though. And we've talked about this on the show. As more people are moving out and doing that, do you feel like that's opening up more opportunities for you to kind of apply your craft? Are you finding there's more room up shallow than there used to be? Yeah, I mean, there's not really that many people up there doing the shallow thing. Um, Mm -hmm. But now, you know, I mean, we all watched Scott last week. I mean, the technology is so good now that even in that two and a half feet of water, still... It's still, it, you know, I can only see on perfect conditions, sunny skies, clear water, no wind, you know, and I can only see 15, 20 feet in front of the boat, you know, into the sides, you know, now guys are able to see in all conditions, you know, 80 to a hundred feet and, and, and see no matter what, you know, the color of the water, the conditions, whatever it is, you know, and, um, you know, it's just, I mean, it might be the new thing, you know, and I, I mean, and I mean, I mean, one day I might have to embrace it, but you know, as long as I'm paying, uh, able to pay my mortgage and feed my kids, I'm gonna just keep keep chunking and hoping. <laughs> for those that don't know, this is coming from a guy that used a two by four for a push pole. I believe on the Red River, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. was that your first win, John? Oh yeah, yeah, that was my first one, and I remember uh, trying to figure out, you know, how am I gonna get through this pipe and. Uh, I ended up going to Lowe's and getting uh, two two by fours, one for me and one for my co-angler. And uh, that's what we did. We pushed on, you know, put it up in that pipe and pushed on it because uh, we had to get all the weight to the front, you know, 
and we both pushed on it and got us in there. Yeah, so that's a man after my heart. So you're going to fight the trend for as long as you can, and you're getting ready to head out for a long, a long stretch. Yeah. But Vance brought up a question earlier, and we both were kind of interested. Being that you're you're sticking with your style and you're going to buck the trend, and you're leaving for what five weeks? You're, we're talking a Bassmaster yeah. Classic coming up. We're talking a Red Crest. We're talking what NFPL championship and yep. and something else. Yeah. What, so TAA. What yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So the TAA, um, you know, uh, I guess a bunch of guys got together and they were like, you know, hey, let's have a tournament, uh, like a pretty much like just a pot tournament where we're all going to throw in, uh, but like big money, you know, it, it's mm -hmm. going to be a $5,000 entry fee. Um, and you get a, like a three hour ride around one day, um, no fishing, just kind of looking around, uh, trying to, you know, pick out where you're going to fish. Uh, and then you'll fish the first two days and then the top 12 fish the last day and someone's going to win 300,000. And, wow. uh, and the payout is, is really good. Um, you know, all the way, it's going to pay back to 40th place. Uh, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I don't know how many people are signed up, but I think he had over 300 that were interested, um, you know, between, you know, Bassmaster Elite, MLF pros, um, MPFL pros and then some other people that are, you know, are like, Hey, I want to get into this. Um, and it's no, no forward sonar, um, no, uh, hummingbird 360. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just going to be, it's kind of, we're just going to have a tournament kind of like the old days, you know, and like, um, you know, I think, I think we might even be weighing them on a, on the tailgate of someone's truck, but, uh, there's oh, a lot awesome. of yeah, there's a lot of big names signed up going to go. Um, you know, we're try they're trying to get 200 boats uh, involved and have this one on Lanier the first week of April. Um, but like I don't know if we don't get the 200, you know, we might run it with, you know, whatever we have, the 100 and something and uh just because I mean so many so many I mean when you guys hear some of the names of the people that are coming out to this, like it's going to like I me as a fan, even I would I just want to be there to see some of the guys, you know, that haven't fished in a while that might have retired a, a while back and stuff. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just gonna be a lot of fun, you know. That's cool. I, yeah. I had read a little bit about it. I had seen some of it. I would think a three hour ride around and limited electronics. You got to hope this program succeeds, right? You'd like to have about five of these a year. I would think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of, uh, of not practicing. Cause it seems to really throw me off a lot. Cause mm -hmm. usually I try to, my practice, I'm always trying to get ahead of the fish, you know, where I'm guessing. So my, so when I go into the tournament, it's usually just a guess, uh, you know, because it's, you know, a lot of times where they are in practice, everybody else finds them, you know, and everybody else is there and it, it doesn't pan out throughout the tournament. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I would love that. And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping too, if for some reason we don't get the boats, you know, maybe they'll allow some practice. Cause that is, you know, it's a lot of money to put up front to go to a place with no practice and, I don't know. I think everybody's really opened up or open to different ideas and, and uh, yeah, I think they're going to make it work. So I'm excited. I think it's awesome. I think there's a place for it for sure. You know, you mm -hmm. hit on that about the, you're, you're getting into the natural thing and, and Vance talked about that Vance, you and I, before John came on the phone, you were talking about the natural angler aspect and uh, you had something about wanting to get into his tackle box. What's a natural angler carry across the, the country. Why don't you fire some of that? Well, here's, what what is a, a national what is a national tour level angler who how does how do you manage that mental clutter as well as the clutter on your deck of your boat? Are you just gonna take two or three trick things that you're good at and take them on tour with you? Or 
are you really trying to cover a lot of bases and take a lot of different kind of gear and be ready for anything? How, how does your mind work with that, John? Yeah, I mean, it's just like you said, it was very hard packing everything, you know, and trying to see like, okay, you know, we'll say it warms up in some of these tournaments and, you know, the fish really move to the bank, start spawning and stuff. You know, there is, uh, I mean, I'm not going to lie, my, my old backseat of my truck is piled to the roof with with tackle so I, I do have a lot of stuff in there um but i mostly key on those few techniques that i feel like i've spent so much time on you know learning you know over all these years you know and and spending all this time with these certain baits uh just confidence baits you know and then each year i've added some more to it you know i mean it used to it used to be you know the berkeley general uh you know a jerk shad uh you know uh bladed jig uh, you know, swim jig. Um, and then, and then lately, you know, adding the Fritz side in, um, you know, for those, and, and I'm like filling these gaps of, you know, different stages of the fish are in that I didn't have, mm -hmm. you know, like there, I look back and I was like, if I had that Fritz side from day one, those tournaments that, you know, I only caught one or two fish those days that cost me winning the tournament, you know, now I have the Fritz side, I would have got those bites, you know? So it's just, it's cool. You add those. And, and this year, um, you know, probably the, the biggest one I've added, uh, is, is the new, uh, the Berkeley Nessie and the Cole Shad, uh, and that whole swim bait thing. It is just, a, it's a, it's a whole nother thing that I'm trying to, and, and I understand where, where it comes into play. I'm starting to anyways. And, and, uh, there are times where I'm like, man, they get so keyed in on those baits, um, that now if I can, if I can pick up on that and know when that day happens, uh, you know, I'm ready for it with them, you know, so. I got an angler question yeah, they, I want to ask. I, I want to ask a question as a fan and an angler because I've been okay. looking at, I was actually in a tackle store this week and I looked at some of the Nessie stuff, uh, what, seven, nine, 11, some different sizes. And mm -hmm. as I think about a shallow water angler, uh, three or four foot of water, tactically, how do you use them? I mean, because, you know, you're talking a bigger bait, a bigger yeah. splash. I'm assuming yeah. stealth is part of your strategy. So all three uh, sizes, they all kind of have different purposes. And, and I've really, probably the last five months I've spent, uh, that's all. That's the only bait I've kind of spent in my hand uh, in my free time has been the, all three Nessies. And like uh, what I learned was the five, you know, it's smaller. It's, it's really more like uh, really pressured fish. Um, you know, you throw it on, uh, I throw it on like four to six pound fire line with an eight to 10 pound leader. Uh, that number five, you know, it's small, but it swims so well. And uh, that seems to be the ticket because if you if too heavy a line, it doesn't swim right. You got to use that light line spinning rod. That's the more finesse kind of throw it around, uh, maybe more of a, like a schooling fisher kind of schooling. Um, and then you go up to the seven, which is the next size, which was the, the seven skips incredible. Like it, 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 I couldn't believe how good it skipped, but you can shoot the seven up under docks, you know, pretty much the same places you would send a jig or, or, uh, you know, a wacky rig general. Um, hmm. so that's what I use that seven to skip up in tight places, uh, you know, on my, like, you know, 15 pound size line. Uh, hmm. but the nine by far is my favorite. The nine, uh, I'm throwing the nine and I'm like, you know, a seven, six heavy, uh, uh, rod, you know, 20 pound fluorocarbon, uh, and that thing, when it splashes, it, it's almost where it's the opposite. That splash it makes, if there's any fish around, it's coming over to see it like it. And it yeah. just got that. And it's, and it's crazy. The drawing power, the nine has, um, where like, you know, it's in really clear water. Like you can see these fish come from, you know, 10, 15 feet away. 
and they're coming at it full speed, you know, and, and, uh, and I didn't realize, uh, the way a lot of the guys work it, they do this chopping thing where it kind of darts back and forth and I had no idea. And so the way I've been throwing it is I just do a straight reel and then a half a turn faster. And that's what makes it kick out to the side. And mm -hmm. that's where every, every bite comes when you do that half a turn shoots out to the side and you pause for a second. Um, that's just the bite comes every time then. And, uh, you know, and I, I just, you know, I just so it's like that, messing with it. That classic crankbait deflection. Like when you hit yeah, a piece of wood, yeah, kick, kick sideways and bang. Same thing. And when I saw it doing that, I knew it was going to be deadly. And I was like, I just need to figure out uh, when, when, and, you know, to do that and throw that technique. And it, man, I, I've caught some giant fish on it, even in Florida. Um, man, it did really well in Lanier with it. Almost made the top 10 in the MPFL there. Yeah, and that's just that's kind of what I've been really excited about adding that to the arsenal. Sounds like you just promoted the next big forward facing sonar bait, and I need to know when to make that move. Now, if you can see <laughs> the fish following it, oh, yeah. you just gave some of the FFS guys, oh, don't, yeah, don't, yeah. don't, don't help them anymore. <laughs> no, no, I, th I thought about it too, and I, I thought about it with that bait and then throwing like the cane walker and stuff, like seeing those fish react to it right away then you would know when to do that half a turn to make him eat it like it would be mm -hmm. and wow. like and, and like i don't know if i'd be any good at it but i just i feel like if i put it on and like i got dialed in and you know i think i would really catch him with that with the forward facing but i don't know if uh, i want yeah. to you know <laughs> right right well and that gets back to something you said earlier that kind of registers with me now you it's career it's, it's your job you've had mm -hmm. a lot of success at it but still it sounds like having fun with it is very important to you and, and enjoying what you do and do it the way you want to do it and the way that's mm -hmm. fun to you. How, how important is that to your success? To, to actually enjoying well, what you do. How important is that? Well, I think, I think the doing so many, cause I mean, you hear a lot of these guys, I mean, they'll go to a tournament. They're like, gosh, how are you going to another one? Or, you know, or how are you going to these next five in a row? And, and I think, you know, because I enjoy it so much, I, I'm excited to go to the next ones. You know, I'm not, I'm not dreading any of the lakes we go to any of, you know, any of the times of year. Um, I'm excited because I know I'm going to get to do something that I really love to do, you know, and I, I think that's what makes the difference. I mean, I remember whenever SideScan first came out and, and uh, Mark Rose and Thrift and all these guys were, were just dominating with it. I remember, uh having it on one year and being like i gotta idle i gotta find them deep fish and uh i hated going into those tournaments knowing that i was gonna have to try to fish offshore which i was no no good at i mean terrible at it you know i could find them and and i, and I, I but i would watch those guys win like i would watch mark win i'd watch thrift win and and i'd watch them and i'm just like wow they're just so much better you know out there and um you know i just figured you know my, my place is on the bank and that's where i need to stay you know well, I was reading, you know, reading some facts, getting ready for this, and I was surprised where it said. I think one of one of the sites had you listed as one of your favorite places to fish was New York. Mm -hmm. And as as a Florida angler, how come so far away from home? Does it set up like home, or is it something about the the lake or the fish, or what? What's um, it all about? Well, it, so it does. It has really good largemouth fishing, which uh, you know, Champlain gets some largemouth fishing. You know, that it gets some pressure like that. St. Lawrence and stuff doesn't get any pressure largemouth fishing, so it's really good largemouth fishing. Um, but before forward-facing sonar, you know, I was able to hang with those guys fishing for shallow smallmouth, you know? Right. And and that's what I, I mean, that's what I loved. I mean, I love, uh, 
I love chasing them smallmouth up there in, you know, three, four feet of water. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just, not, you know, even, you know, the last couple of times we've been like, you know, I, it just can't, I just can't hang with them guys. There's just not enough shallow that there is out in the middle, you know. And I noticed a lot of the schedule sets up. I mean, on your Bassmaster side, you guys are pretty well staying with early pre-spawn through. You're staying with the fish. I mean, there's going to be shallow fish in a good portion of the first half of the season. So as you look at the season, uh, anything on the calendar circled, or is it all just, uh, like you said, just going to be a fun day on the water wherever? Yeah, no, I, I didn't really see. I mean, they're all they're going to all these places that I've won before, you know, so that's exciting, uh, but going at completely different times. Um, so I, I mean, the exciting part is, is the unknown, you know, I, I don't know, you know, we go to Smith Lake, like the week before 4th of July week, you know, and, and I don't, in my head, I'm like, I don't even, you know, I would be afraid to even put the boat in them, but I, I don't know. So I'm curious to see, I'm curious to see how that one plays out. And a lot of them, you know, we go to a lot of places that, um, you know, I don't know if anybody really knows, except, you know, maybe some locals probably have an idea what's going to happen, but um play you know i have no idea so that that's kind of exciting you know and um yeah i mean i'd look i look forward to every one of them there's not any none that really stick out i mean i guess i guess the uh these next five in a row i have those i've been really looking forward to this this week or these i guess it's like over a month coming up you know mm -hmm. and uh uh you know because it's that early part of the year you know fish are coming to the bank um you know i don't know if i'll be able to win you know uh I don't know if I'll be able to win any of them, but, you know, hopefully we'll, you know, be able to do well in, in most of them. And, uh, you know, just a shot, you know, a lot of these places we're going, any, any cast could be a 10 pounder. So that's always exciting too. I'll tell you what, I know something Danny wants to know about, and I like to talk about bait selection and stuff and how you keep that simple, but yeah. talk to us a little bit about not just the, everybody looks at the disadvantages, you're running an aluminum rig and you, and it's a lot slower. Talk to me about the advantages because I remember, remember sitting there watching you fish uh, Wheeler. You know, you went into a couple of Wheeler. You told me, I'm going to go down to this creek. And I'm like, okay, so I'm sitting there waiting for John Cox to come by. And we'll follow him and take some pictures. And I see like 50 other boats go by. And I'm like, 10 minutes later, I'm like, I think he called my audible and decided to go somewhere else. <laughs> Here you come around again. Yeah. 55 yeah. miles an hour. There. Yeah. You know, how do you compete like that, man? What, what, how do you overcome the disadvantages? Or are there actual more, more advantages to using an aluminum rig? Yeah. I mean, I, my, my whole thing was, it was, you know, I mean, that's what I grew up fishing, you know, fishing the John Moat mm -hmm. club and all that stuff. So that, that was just like, you know, it just, it just brings me back. Like, you know, I mean, it's just what I've been floating in for all these years. And, and I mean, and then my thing too, is if you have a spot, you got a race to get to, uh, it's what, first off, it's probably not the spot you're going to win the tournament on because you're mm -hmm. not going to get there the next day. Cause someone else is going to get on it. And, um, so I just kind of have that mindset and kind of a lot of the spots I find, you know, I'm, I'm trying to put the pieces together while I'm running and it's hard to think when you're running 70 miles per hour, you know, over running 40, 50 miles per hour, you know, I'm able to actually, you know, I'm thinking that whole time I'm driving, you know, what's the next move? What's the next move when I go here? What if this doesn't happen? You know, I mean, I think that, I think even if I did have a big fancy fiberglass boat, I think I would still drive slow because I'm always, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to read the water. I mean, that's what I do. I read the water with my eyes and you just can't, you can't do it at 70 miles per hour. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just wondering if you ever like going down the lake and, and, and you have that time to think and analyze, you ever just stop and pull over and fish somewhere you had no inkling that you were going to 
every day every day i end up I, every day because you know you got to think even in practice or days you know a lot of times when i'm running down the lake i'm always like oh i didn't look there in practice i didn't try that area you know and then you know i'm driving by and i'm seeing it and i'm like oh there's birds over there like, it's like all the right stuff and i haven't i'll just go you know and that's that's mm-hmm. something that i feel like um as i've gotten older um you know if i if i got that feeling and i run by it a couple times it's usually you know for some reason and sometimes it's not sometimes it's a waste of time and you know but you know when you're not in a super hurry to get anywhere you know you can you can make those stops <laughs> mm-hmm. so there's a certain freedom to that and i think it goes back to what vance said about the natural part trusting your gut and knowing that if something tugs at you to go make a move having the confidence to go make it and that's one thing that shows right. up and in these conversations with veterans such as yourself and, you know, a couple of the young guys that seem so dangerous, Vance, that's consistent with what we've heard. You know, we ask them about, you know, who did you emulate or who did, you know, what do you try to do? And and the one consistent thing we hear from the young guys is that I don't, I just do my own thing. Right. And I do it. They seem more comfortable. When I was a young angler, I was focused on doing what the people I followed did. Right. Like you're the best. So I do what they do. And these young guys, they'll, they'll process it different. They're like, okay, I see that. Now I'm going to go, over here and do it my way and and we're right. seeing that for sure this yeah. year uh, yeah yeah I, I was denny brower every time we went on family vacation and i got fish for an hour i was my mind i was denny brower out there when uh, yeah. i went to classic you know what i mean that was yeah. uh yeah yeah, part, yeah. Of, part of the sport that was kind of fun frankly back in the day i think you know it was uh you had to have those heroes you know they seemed larger than life we didn't know all right. the secrets we didn't have the internet it was right. such a mystery everything was such a mystery and Right. And I think the older I get, the more I realize that the, 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 the key to this is not to be in the know, but to be in the mystery, I think. And, right. and that's something you you seem to be living that on the water, John. It works out really well for you. And you think when you talk about the aluminum boat and one of the things that I like about it is I feel like I'm stealthier up in skinnier water. And mm-hmm. how important is stealth in what you do, spending that time in shallow water? I mean, you know, I've got a couple of local anglers around me and the, they always joke with them. Like if you're a co-angler and you slam a lid in their boat. Like you get the look of death, right? Yeah. Like don't be, you know, and and so yeah. I know there's some crusty old guys around here that are like that, but I also know they're successful. How much of stealth is part of your approach? Uh, I think it's huge. I mean, that's the whole thing. Uh, you know, a lot of times when I'm fishing, you know, uh, sometimes I'll, I'll have like the side scans transducer on and on the back, you know, and I'll cut it off. And that's why I don't, a lot of time I don't want, you know, anything on the front pinion or anything. I want it kind of as quiet as can be. And, and I think being in that aluminum boat, you know, it, it floats in such a uh, little bit of water uh, that when you're trolling fast, there's not like that, especially in shallow water. Like if you ever see, if you're in like really skinny water and you're trolling fast, like you can see everything moving on the bottom. So it actually like uh, kind of the, the boat displacing water, you know, if it's displacing less water, you're not getting like this uh, pressure wake out in front of the boat, which are spooking a lot of the shallower fish. So I think that's a huge factor, uh, especially like, you know, I think more like the saltwater guys are probably more in tuned with it on the flats and stuff. But, uh, but that's what I just think a lot of these places I fished where, you know, if I was in a fiberglass, I could probably still fish those areas. Um, but I'm able to get around a lot easier, quicker, um, and not displace as much water, uh, as I would with, you know, a big fiberglass boat. Vance, this is going back to something that's come up on the show before, you know, and John, I don't know if you're a hunter or not, but it's almost the hunter's mentality. Are you a hunter? Uh, I uh, alligator hunt some. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, man, you like a challenge. You like to hunt things that'll eat you. 
So that's yeah, cool. But now we hear we yeah. hear that a lot, you know, the whether, you know, we've had conversations about hydrowave being like a cover noise mm. um, in those types of places. Right. We talk about mm -hmm. how when you're targeting isolated bass and shallow, it's it's similar to a hunting strategy, whether you're hunting a deer or a duck or whatever. It's it's one on one. And that's kind of what I do. Like, uh, you know, I, I usually hunt, you know, individual fish. Uh, mm -hmm. when I'm shallow, you know, and that's, you know, I might see one in practice or get a bite in practice. Uh, and then I'm actually in, I'm usually like in search of that one fish. Like that's kind of how I, I plan my day. You know, I like, I'll either get a bite or see a big one or something. And, um, and then I'll try, try to figure out where that fish went, you know, if it's not right where I saw it or, or had a bite or whatever. And, uh, you know, I think that's why I enjoy it. You know, it's the, it's like the unknown. That's what I'm afraid with forward facing and the scout, uh, scout mode, all that stuff. I'm just worried that it's going to take that, you know, that kind of guessing if he's there or not, you know, cause then you, you know, if he's there or not, you know, you shine him with the thing, you, they're either there or they're not and you keep moving, you know, I guess that's what worries me about putting it on, you know, that it just loses that on that you lose the unknown then, you know. One thing I can say and speak to that, this past year I was a fill-in for the uh, Bass Pro Shops Collegiate National Championship down in Hartwell. I was the tournament mm -hmm. director, uh, the regular tournament director was out, so I filled in. And I was shocked at the number of college teams that came up, you know, and one in particular, I sounded like a real jerk and I didn't mean to. But he's like, man, mm -hmm. we ran and we looked at, we looked at a hundred different spots. We shined them all and, uh, we just couldn't find any fish and then my trolling motor went dead. So we only got this one, you know, and without thinking, I'm like, yeah, I, I don't remember what the comment was, but it was basically like, well, there's a lot of people here without forward facing sonar and they just went fishing. Yeah. Right. And yeah. it wasn't meant, it wasn't meant to be a crack on him. Right. But it, I was shocked that like his day was done when the battery went dead. Right. And I was also shocked at the number of students who came across the stage talking about basically they just kept dropping the trolling motor shining if they didn't see them set up the way they wanted, they were on to the next thing. Right. Like they, they would go long stretches without even casting because right. it didn't look right or they, they weren't set right. up right. And, and to your point, that is scary because yeah. that's a, you know, that's a whole, a whole new class of anglers coming up that if they can't see them on the scope, they're not fishing for them, which I guess right. is good for John Cox job security and guys like me. But oh, I, mean, I mean, hopefully, I don't know. I mean, the, the thing is, is that, the way things are going, I, I think, I think when you're, I think we'll see I, five, maybe 10 years, the oldest angler will be 30. That will be the old person, I, I think, you know, so that's kind of scary. So that actually, that, that brings me to uh, my goal. These next five tournaments is to, uh, I'm going to try to pay my house off. So let's cross your fingers <laughs> and uh, hope yeah. that goes well, just in case that does happen. Good, good. Dan, yeah. Danny's got some experience being a tournament director. Danny, how about you get us a senior tour going, man? All the 31 year olds can <laughs> yeah. come on the, the senior tour. Yeah. 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 Hey, if I can hang out with guys like you guys, as far as I'm concerned, you guys made the sport, you know, you and your predecessors, John. <laughs> so uh, if you guys ever want to do a retiree circuit and, you know, I got right. a lot of white in my beard, uh, I'm, no, right. I'm no trip, but, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I'd be more than happy to help referee a, a, something like that TAA you were talking about. That's interesting. Like that'll be interesting to see if that gets if that gets legs because I think if that gets mm -hmm. legs then that tells mm -hmm. us that there is a demand for it right whether mm -hmm. it's you as an angler or us as people that'll be interesting. You said that's the first part of April. I want to geek out and look at that. Yeah, yeah. I think I think April first is the date. Uh, he already pulled the permits for uh, Laurel Park on Lanier. Okay. Um, and but I mean I mean it's not like he's not going after bass or MLF or anything like that. I mean he's just. <laughs> 
you know, it's just a bunch of guys kind of getting together and they're going to, um, you know, and, and we're just going to fish for our own money, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, um, and I think it was cool because, you know, and then we're not like dealing with any of the, uh, you know, trying to get money from any tourism or anything. Mm -hmm. uh, so like if he does decide to have some more, um, you know, I think it's going to be, hey, we're going to go, let's go to this lake this time of year because that's when it's the best, you know, and um, so I think it'd be cool to get to go to some places, you know, you know, like when, it, when they're like in their prime, like, I mean, like can you imagine if we went to Rayburn and like March, like we used to or something, you know, like, I mean, that was just, I mean, I miss, I miss a lot of those days, you know? Yeah. Sorry, Dan. I just want to make sure that those of us who want to look that up and look for more information, we have this right, John, that is tournament anglers association. Is that what TAA stands for? I think so. Somebody that's the TAA. Yeah. It was a TAA yeah. tournament. Yeah, yeah he's Angler Association. Tur Tournament Angler, Angler Association. Yeah. Mm -hmm. well, that gives me the willies. Yeah. That's close to some of my other old projects. But separate from that, you know, what John was talking about for people that don't know is in a lot of our scheduling, you know, host cities bring people in and right. host cities like people there at certain times. And right. typically and sometimes host cities don't need to spend money to bring somebody to their fishery at peak times because the fishery right. brings people there. Right. And so in a mo in a model like this, they get to chase the bite and just go because they're freaking biting, which is yeah. kind of what we all like. So I like yeah. that. April and Lanier, that's going to be fun. So that should be a good tournament. And then, so what's the order of operations? How you, You've got an elite series, then you've got a classic. With these, these uh, five events, how's it go down yeah, for so, you? Yeah, so I'm going to go, um, I'm going to start off Toledo Bend Elite Series, then Lake Fork, uh, and then go straight to Amistad for uh the mpfl championship and then straight from amistad to hopefully catch a day of practice at uh lay lake for red crest um and then straight to the classic uh and grove oklahoma grand lake uh for the one wednesday of practice and then i think i got about i think i got four or five days off uh and then that the taa on lanier and then I'll come home for about five days and then have back-to-back -back elites uh, in Florida, uh, Harris Chain and Palaka. Then it slows down. Then it slows down a little bit. <laughs> all, all you yeah. lack's finishing up then, right? All you lack is yeah. finishing up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hopefully we can make enough money and then who cares what happens the rest of the year. Right. So the, the plan <laughs> is, is to catch enough shallow to pay for the house and then chill out. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, those are the I goals. like it. I like it. Person's got to have goals, and I love yours. Those are great goals to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before you young guys with your Ford facey sonar take over the world, let me get my yeah. mortgage paid yeah. off, right? This, this spring, right. And, right? Yeah, and right. I'll just the TAA thing for fun. I like it. That's a good yeah. game plan. Well, it's better right, man. About those young guys, I, I had to get my phone out of the case at ICAST last year to fill a microphone in it. And I was panicking. I was like, where's a 14-year-old? I can't get this phone out of this case. Yeah. I don't know how to, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, a teenager. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's so true. How did you get involved as we talk about that? We'll let you go here in just a second. But, what you know, you have a different demeanor than a lot of the folks that have been on the show. And I think, you know, Vance told me we would love it, and I think we do. Where did it come from? Was it a dad, an uncle, a, a cousin, or how did you get started? Uh, I mean, it started uh, when I was real little. Me and my dad would fish for like bluegills um, at little retention ponds and stuff. Um, and then, 
I actually, when, uh, someone he worked with gave us, uh, gave me like all his fishing stuff. So like I had like, I don't know, he gave me like 20 bait casters and like all these tackle boxes of all this stuff. I had no idea about any of it. And, uh, pretty much what I did the next five years from then was I just, every day I fished with a different lure and tried to learn it and stuff. And, uh, I mean, I even, even, even to learn how to throw the bait caster, that was like, that was, that was so hard. I, that took me forever to understand why, why they would let the line come off so freely, you know, for the longest time. But, uh, but yeah, I just, I mean, I just, I spent every day with it. I was obsessed with it, you know? And I mean, I remember, I remember even the first time I threw a buzz bait and I was reeling it. I mean, for, for months, I reeled it underwater catching them. And I thought it was like a spinner bait. Uh, and then I was, I was reading, uh, Bassmaster magazine or something and, and, uh, they were talking about reeling it on the surface and I was just mind blown. And then I started reeling on the surface and I was like, Oh my gosh, this works so good. You know? And, uh, I think that's that in the John boat club, mom signed me up for the John boat club and, uh, you know, had no idea and just kind of jumped into it and won like 40 bucks. And, uh, man, I was hooked. I was hooked after that. Like it was uh, it was, that was how every day, uh, until now when I practiced, uh, you know, whether I got fired or not from wherever I was working on Fridays and fished the tournament Saturday and tried to find one on Sunday, you know, and, um, and you went job again just, on Monday. Yeah, pretty much. Luckily, my friend, <laughs> luckily Keith's dad, you have to get Keith on one of these days, but luckily Keith's dad, he would. <laughs> He would fire us. We'd be like, hey, you know, we're taking off. We were going to practice for a tournament. And he was like, no, you're not. He'd fire us. And then Monday he would call us and be like, hey, you guys coming back in? And we'd be like, okay, you know. We'd go, and we were paint, painting apartments then. So it was, You had an enabler. And yeah. yeah. What I got to say after this interview is you don't seem like you've changed much, changed much since the no. John Hope Club and the, and the fishing, right? You, I know, you're still I know. You're still fishing yeah. more than most. Yeah. You're still John Bonin. John Bonin. Yeah. So. yeah not much not much has changed and and you know and that's what i just don't you know i think about it and i'm like man if if i was a kid right now riding my bike around fishing these ponds and trying to and having this dream of being a professional fisherman with no money you know at all i mean my mom didn't work my dad was a school teacher so i just don't um i don't know how they uh you know i don't know how a kid can can think hey i can make it happen in this day and age you know so that's what that's another reason why i'm kind of holding out on doing any of that stuff because you know i i just uh you know if there is any kid out there fishing from the shore that thinks he can't make it because he, he doesn't have any of the the new electronics you know i want to I at least give them some hope you know oh absolutely yeah. i think you hit on, hit on a great point you know we we don't ever want to see our sport get to the point where it feels any more elite than i think it feels right now to be honest mm -hmm. with you, it's starting to feel very elitist in terms of what it costs to participate. And I was watching the, the uh, one of the weigh-ins and there was some, and I, you guys may know him, but he was talking about every kid gets a fishing pole and they're, they're right. out giving those, giving those out. And I think those oh, programs yeah. are real important, man. I've had a blast with this one, John, and you, you, you've met all my expectations. Apparently <laughs> uh, stump jumping aluminum boat guys are just cool fellas as far as I'm concerned. So, thanks. thanks. Prove me wrong. It's oh, like that yeah. meme, right? Yeah. Don't give yeah. up the good fight, fellas. Don't give up the good fight. Stay in there. Like you say, we get we got to show people that you, fish is still a fish, and you can catch them with you with your brains as much as anything else. You're right. Use your mind and right. and uh, be versatile with uh. You, know, you can be versatile with one lure the same way as you can be versatile with a bunch of different lures, right? Use the same right. lure in a bunch of different situations. That's the flip side of the versatility that I like about you, John. You've always been real 
you know, nuts and bolts about it. And, and uh, man, good luck on, on that. Keep, keep, keep doing Thanks. that. We, we love that about you. Thanks. Yep. About you. <laughs> yep. John, enjoy the ball game tonight. Thanks for sharing your time with us. And keep fighting the good fight, my man. We're all counting on you. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll do. All right. Thanks, See man. you guys. Thanks. Leaders in innovation and anglers at heart. Lose is founded on a rich heritage of building the best. 70 years of cutting-edge innovation with one goal in mind, to answer the call of passionate anglers who demand reliability, durability, and tournament-level performance. Delivering the best for you to perform at your best, on and off the water. Whether day or night, I love to tie one on. Every day of the week, I like to tie one on. I don't care who's looking, I always tie one on. Every time I go on the water, I love to tie one on. You may not know this about me, but every once in a while, I've been known to tie one on. Come on, man, join the Stray King team. All you gotta do, tie one on. <laughs> I think I always tie one on. This segment is brought to you by Strike King. Get out there and tie one on. Welcome back, everybody. Awesome interview with John Cox. Uh, as we mentioned on the front side of the, the program, we talked to John before he left for Toledo Bend. So, Vance, we got to hear that uh, he wasn't quite ready to switch over to the dark side, as he referred to it. <laughs> yeah. And he, he said the same thing. It's very tempting to go do it. But it, it, I thought the most important thing that he said, and this may not really answer our question, but for John personally, he doesn't want to ruin the fun that he's having. That's the thing that jumped out at me. He yep. likes his style. He likes his way of doing it. And despite what's going on out there in the ditches and the drains and ping and minnows, he doesn't want to ruin his fun. That's a strong statement. There's a kernel of wisdom in there that kind of, uh, it's kind of probably totally uh, hints at why he's able to go fish so many tournaments, so many trails when everybody else is exhausted and they're like, John, how do you do it? How do you fish so much? He truly enjoys it. And that, that's a big part of it, it, what it means to him. He he does it because it's fun. He does, you know, he wants to do it his way. And that's where he gets that mental energy to get up every morning and go you know, drive another eight, 10 hours, nine hours. I know sometimes the wife or somebody will drive while he sleeps sometimes, literally to roll in, having slept on the ride and to hit the practice. You know what I mean? So that, uh, I think that's where a lot of the energy comes from is that fun, that, that boyhood is I'm a kid on the lake on summer vacation again, you know what I mean? Just permanently. Trying to think of the right adjective to describe it, you know, maybe it's jovial, I don't know, I, I, you know, but you're right. It, it was this all shucks, by golly, I'm having a fun, almost youthful, right? Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. that, and I guess to your point, if you're going to cover that many miles and fish that much, you have to be young at heart. Yeah, you, and you got to love it. You got to just, just, you know what I mean? It's like, it's just looking forward to the next one. And, uh, you know, you, you, any kind of a competitor, athlete, you're going to live a life checkered with failure. Well, how do you find that motivation to get up and go to the next one? Well, he really does enjoy the process. He enjoys the sport of fishing, the act of fishing, and the art of fishing, which I think is where a lot of people are upset about the technology maybe taking some of the art out of it. And 
you know what I mean? The feel and the instinct and the years of experience, you, you know how it changes you and educates you. And the the assumption is you get the screen and you look at it, you just follow these fish around and pester them until they bite. And I think that's probably where a lot of the rub is. And, uh, you know, right or wrong, John, he enjoys doing it the old school way. He grew up doing it and staying shallow. And that joy, that fun aspect is what keeps him going strong. It, the thing that kind of that, that struck a thought with me, because I think I've been on probably on the podcast, kind of had that same rub that you mentioned. And the thing about the bass and MLF coverage this weekend that maybe changed my position a little bit. Um, you know, it's early in the year. I haven't got to get out a lot. And I've been play, playing with my forward facing setup since last fall. But now the coverage is starting to highlight the screens. We're starting to learn a little bit more about what they're doing. And yeah, I was, I was kind of poo-poo on the deal. All this, there's not an art to this. They're just chasing them down. You know, you made the comment pestering. I like that. But when you actually take the time to watch, especially after you have tried to do it right, it's easy for someone like my dad example, talking to dad last night, he's not ever casted at a forward facing sonar cone. So he thinks it's cheating. Yeah. As a as a guy who has been trying to put jig heads in my cone, present them at the right height, know what I'm looking at, decipher what I'm doing, dude, there is every bit as much art and skill in what they're doing. Yeah. Than than the other way. I mean, and, and you know what it, it reminds me of, Danny. You know what it reminds me of is growing up and watching Shaw Grigsby blow up and hearing all the comments well that's not fishing that's that's hunting you're you're sight fishing you're looking at the fish you're pestering them till they bite you're it's all the same arguments we heard about sight fishing you know round one and here we are sight fishing act two where everything becomes sight fishing and it's a lot of the same you know what i mean arguments and i think given time everything kind of becomes normal people sort of forget about that uh, you know, I look, dude, I was out there the other day and, uh, I thought a dirt bait around, hooked a nice four pounder and one about two and a half times his size rolled out behind him. I realized they're on a bed, you know what I mean? So I caught the buck. Some other trying to catch the female. Well, I never caught her. I caught the buck twice trying to shake him off, get rid of him. But the big old, you know, I don't know, it's eight, 10 pounds. So it's fish one me zero right now on the, on the trophy fish down here. I'm telling you, and I've been doing this forever. It's not always, you know, that easy. Every fish is an individual. Every fish is different. There is an art to it. And uh, you see even Rick Clun trying now to learn the forward-facing sonar. He admitted the other day. You know, he's like, well, it's too windy today for me to yeah, employ what I've learned. I'm kind of at this point in the learning curve. And uh, it, it's just amazing that, yeah, yeah there, there is art in it if you put artistry in it, I guess, if you, if you go about it the right way. And there, there are things we're learning about fish that I'm very excited about that I never knew. The competition aspect, right? You got onesies, twosies, they might bite. Go check out Ronnie Moore's Instagram where he broke down a video the other day from the screen of knowledge. You might have seen it on live where he's showing Robert G and some of these guys and how they're, uh, you know, he's, he's working this individual fish. And not until another fish comes up beside that fish will either of them bite. Right. And and you read about Fajita's great day he had. He said, well, I found four big six-pounders in the area. Well, he found four of them, and he caught all four of them. But if you got onesies, twosies here and there, they're really hard to catch. It's the competition aspect. So we're learning so much about bass and why they do what they do that will apply to all types of fishing. That's the part I'm excited about with the forward-facing sonar. I don't want to be a downer about it all the time. I don't really like it 
than what has happened, but it's happened. And yeah. I'm embracing the the sunny side, I guess you'd say. There is a lot of upside to it. Yeah, no, two things on what you said. I agree that there's an art to finessing on the scope that is similar to finessing a fish on the bed. And so I get that. Uh, I would say that from a conservation perspective, finessing them on the scope, pre-spawn, catching them and putting them back is less impactful than, you know, eyeballing them with your costas and pulling them off the bed. So from a conservation standpoint, I think it's probably got less impact. You know, there's a lot of people saying we're going to ruin our fisheries. I mean, I guess if you're catching and, and chopping the heads off of them, it, it's going to have an impact. But as far as catching them in the middle and putting them back in the middle, I don't think that's a real big deal. Um, you know, and then the, the other part of that that you hit on in the beginning of the show, I mentioned, you know, I'm aggravated because there's all this knowledge that I never studied. And I think you said it best. It's opening up that stuff. So I guess, you know, even over the course of this hour on the front side, you know, I'm talking about yesterday, I'm mad because I wasn't taught those things. And by the end of the hour, I'm like, damn, there's an open book right here. I just need to study it. And these these young anglers, the G's and the gills and, and you know, I don't want to leave anybody out because they're all you know, versatile with it. Um, but they are. They're showing us that there's more to bass than what we thought we knew. And I guess to your point, that means there's a whole new horizon to learn some stuff, not only about how to catch them, but how they behave, where they go. You know, there's been an age old discussion down here on the river about the springs are strong in the creeks. I mean, we catch them pretty good for where we're at. And then as the season goes on, it just gets so tough. And I've said all along, they go out into the main stem of the river, you know, and and they they live a good productive life out there all summer. And we don't mess with them as anglers because they don't relate to the traditional stuff that we're used to. And so I think what I'm going to take from this is that uh, I need to not be a butthole about it. And what they're teaching me is, is to get out there and look for them. And maybe it'll open up some new opportunities. You know, John's concept of having fun, I think, is super important. What a great interview and the the attitude. I love it. It's infectious. Um, you know, we hit on that four major events. And then you and I were talking off air, not only four major events, but he's throwing two elite series in there as well. So mm -hmm. that, that goes back to the joy and the grind. You know, I guess we got a little glimpse inside of his head here this week because we know what his, his plan is to pay his house off in the next five events. I got a kick yeah, out of that. Yeah, right. He's like, I better get done by April. And then uh, when we go up north and it gets summer, it's going to be nothing but the scoping deal. He's like, I've got a little window of opportunity to go pay the house off. I better get it done. And Well, but, you know, not to throw shade, but, I, you know, I don't know what kind of home John lives in. And getting a check's getting a check. But uh, I'm sure that $2,500 leaves a little bit of a mortgage balance. So he's got to catch him heading to Fork. Yeah, yeah, he he's made a mortgage payment right there. Right? That's about it this week, but uh, <laughs> he's got he's got to catch up fast. But uh, I mean the that even that TAA, which I looked into that, that is Touring Anglers Association. For those who want to look it up, it's Touring Anglers Association, uh, and it pays like three hundred grand to a single winner, right? And there's gonna be none of the minimal minimal practice and none of the live you know, the mega live or the, uh, the forward facing that is going to be interesting to me. Yeah. And at first I love, at first I loved it. But, I mean, do we need that? Do, do we need to create a place for them to compete essentially handicapped? 
Well, as John said, you give it five to 10 years and the oldest angler on tour is going to be 30. So I'm thinking it's a de facto seniors tour already lining up for guys that don't want to <laughs> do, you know, all that newfangled stuff. <laughs> so it's self-preservation. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go ahead and get that, get that going on now. I think that's uh, that might be the biggest drawing card to that tournament is, is the, the challenge of, yeah, kind of doing it the old way. See and see and see what kind of I want to see what kind of weights they put up on what what the numbers look like. You know what I mean? As opposed to these tournaments where they're using all the equipment. Uh, the, what if the weights suck? Yeah, it'd be interesting. What if, I mean, I mean, what if they do though? What if it, if it turns into a twelve pound a day kind of deal? Are you still excited? Well, you remember the old Bassmaster Classics that were always held in the summer. And mm-hmm. 12 to 14 pounds a day was I, mean, I know you remember the one on the Ohio River there. You know, Larry <laughs> oh, Nixon, yeah. Right. So, yeah, I like grinders. I like fishing and grinder tournaments and I like watching them. Uh, but that's like a guy that likes baseball and he likes to watch a pitcher's duel. You know, you don't see all the home runs and all that. So, I love football, but I like to watch a good running game. I don't have to see a guy throw a bomb and, you know, score 40, 50 points a game. To me, that gets too much like basketball, which is why I don't like basketball and tennis. It's just like bowling. Like, well, gee, I wonder what the guy's going to do. Well, he's going to roll the ball down the alley and hit some pins. Now, I want some mystery, some mystique, some – I want to watch a guy struggle a little bit, personally. I just do. Maybe it makes me feel better because I struggle so much. I don't know. I don't know. But, but yeah, I was getting ready to get I was, small ball. I'm good with watching small ball. It's okay with me. I am too, and I'm smiling, and I was getting ready to tell you, hey, bud, your blue collar's creeping up. I see it, right? And you said it. You, you, you straight up said it. You're like, I just, I like stuff to be hard. And, and yeah. I guess that's maybe why we clip, right? I mean, look at the, the challenges and the projects that we've taken. You, you got to celebrate small victories, right? And uh, yeah. So, yeah, I like it. Your blue collar popped out of your shirt there. And at the end of the day, that's who we are. I mean, you know, Anybody that's listened for any time knows that's probably who we are. Um, I think we do a good, it's, it's just what you get. Um, yeah. And and I think you make a great point there. I don't know. I hadn't thought about them making a, a senior's place, but to your point, I guess that, if it, that tugs at my heartstrings a little bit. I don't like the idea of a 30 year old angler being the old guy and having to be put out to pasture. Dude, yeah. it's too hard. It's too hard to get there. Right. Yeah. And so if, if you, if you, I think we change it a little bit if if you let's say you do the high school and college route to prepare yourself or you do the Trey McKinney thing and just fish your brains out. But you you hit it young at 21. Mm-hmm. You're going to make you're going to make a lot of sacrifices to get there. And then you're going to make a lot of sacrifices in an eight or 10 year period. That's a pretty short ride. And even Fujita, you look at a uh, Koi Fujita who won the uh, Elite Series tournament this this uh, past weekend, and that's uh, two wins in two years for him. And uh, they say he, over in Japan, he had like four angler of the year and six uh, wins in just four short years. They wouldn't let you fish in tournaments. So they won't let them fish in tournaments until they're 18 over there for some reason. You have to be a minimum of 18 years old to fish in tournaments in Japan. And that's kind of strange to me, but it's kind of neat, too. It did, did make him wait, I don't know, really sharpen his axe, I guess, uh, and before he tried to cut down the tree, right? So when he, when he hit the ground, he hit the ground running. And wow, what a career he's lost. You know what I mean? But even that, yeah, it's, it's just, it's too short. If you, you're done by 30. Yeah. It's just too short, man. Well, then they'll go into commentary and you and I'll be out of a job. Uh, commentators in the space. They'll be podcasting and running live broadcasts. And yeah, you know, I hope they don't replace Zona or, uh, or Tommy. I think those guys do an awesome job. So hopefully right, those guys right. are safe for a while, but you know, you bring bringing up live and, and uh, Koya's deal 
Zona talked about that a little bit too. You know, uh, I don't want to butcher any of the names, but some of his Japanese predecessors that came before him had established long careers in Japan prior to making the jump. And it seems like Koya is more like the phenoms that we're dealing with now. Uh, he didn't spend 10 years refining his craft on a tournament circuit. He came out, he came over here young and just yep. put him, you know, the immersion thing, right? Just jumped in and got after it. And yeah, to your point, the, the skill set's there. I think he's got a real legitimate shot of having a, an AOY kind of year. If you look at how he finished in the back half of the season last year, uh, you th you know, that, that Florida April thing could throw him a curveball. But outside of that, I think he's going to be very comfortable and he's going to be a force on the tour. And, you know, it's probably only the language barrier that is keeping us from recognizing him as one of the young gun stars, too. It's scary how good he is going to be the next three to five years. He's going to put on a Van Dam-like run. Mark my words, it's coming, if it's not here already. And uh, I was laughing, I told my wife last night, it kind of hit me. I said, well, I've got, what, a month till the classic to learn Japanese, because I want to interview him in Japanese. So, yeah, you see the, see the redneck on there. They're going to have to put subtitles under my name because I'm actually speaking Japanese, not because you, you can't understand me. <laughs> well, I'll buy the first beer. Uh, trying to think of a good Japanese one for you. I'll buy you your first Japanese beer at the Classic if you can make that happen. You better be babbling <laughs> and doing something. Yeah, yeah. Don't, man, hopefully you don't. Pretty good. Yeah, yeah, there you go. I'll do a sake bomb with you if you can interview him start to finish uh, in Japanese and not offend anybody. <laughs> You're liable to butcher it up. You know, that, that's good. I might get slapped. You know what I'm saying? I mean, what, what I say? You know, that's what my wife said. Yeah, you can be calling him some all kind of words we can't repeat in Japanese. You know, you know, they don't like self. But how much fun would that be? And then when are we going to see that these guys not only changing the sport but the culture a little? They are coming over here, and that is to me now that is the American dream. You're willing to do like Takahiro Mori, come over here, live in a van, right, and win the classic. Talk sort of was the pioneer and opened that door for a lot of those guys. And it is good to see them following up on that and doing that. We got Jacques Bogalele from Italy. He got stuck over here for a year and a half to get his family. You love to see guys chase a dream that hard. And that's what we all came here for. Our ancestors did. And if we, you know, sometimes we lose sight of that as we're so comfortable here. It's just really nice to see a Carl Jockinson come from Australia and mm -hmm. to embrace these international anglers. Uh, nothing against the guys from Canada, but I mean, that's they're kind of like our cousins to the north. When you see somebody cross an ocean to come here and do what those guys are doing, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm as proud of American as anybody, but dude, that is the American dream right there. And I, mm -hmm. I really admire those guys that come over here and do that. And I would like to be able to talk to them a little more and interview them. And I know they got translators, and that's good. And we'll definitely catch up with Koya and, and some of those guys uh, at the Classic and at Red Crest, I'm sure. Yeah, looking forward to it. You know, this one with uh, all our conversation with John um, about the dark side, we're getting a little long in the tooth on this one so we can wrap it up. But yeah, I want to encourage everybody to keep an eye on the website. Obviously, we're cranking out a lot more stuff than we have in the past, getting some of that stuff from the events. Uh, Angler's Channel will be at Redcrest coming up. Angler's Channel will be at the Bassmasters Classic coming up. And Vance, I'm going to go ahead and tease our next podcast because this one is uh, well, it's a big deal. Yeah, you know, it's our next King, our next, King Kong, King Kong yeah. of the tournament world is uh, I believe Mercer called him one time, and it's on on them. Yeah, I mean, Strike King Pro Kevin Van Dam is going to join us next on our next podcast, and what a cool time, Vance! I mean, the sport's changing. He's leaving. Uh, I, I've got questions. You know, how much of the change motivated the leave, and and I, I don't know. I 
I'm glad I got a couple of weeks to prepare because I want to I want to deliver some good questions because we've got the goat as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah. You know, especially if you look at it from a angling and marketing and contribution to the sport perspective. I mean, the dude put it on the map. Yeah. He really he really did. And there you know there's still kids out there that emulate him, and there's entire tackle industry has been built off of some of his design principles, either in what he did with Strike King or what Strike King competitors did to knock off what he did for Strike King, right? I mean, it, it, it's pervasive, like. Yeah. And there, there's, so we got, there's people people who will never watch a basketball game, but they know who Michael Jordan is, right? They know who Shaquille O'Neal is. They know these guys are bigger than their sport. And Kevin Van Dam is that for bass fishing. He's done that for the sport. People outside the sport recognize him and therefore recognize our sport. And that's just really, really cool. Well, bud, if we play our cards right, maybe they'll recognize us even more because of uh, just through osmosis, getting Kevin on here and they'll realize we're okay too, you know? Halo but, effect. Uh, that's right, halo effect. Well, we're going to find out. You know, we're going to get put in the room with the GOAT and uh, see what we can do to get some information out of him and find out about his plans moving forward. I'm sure it's not uh, heading to the golf course and we'll have to ask him if he's interested in this TAA thing for old folks, no sonar. And, you know, I'm sure he could roll in there and take their money. So uh, maybe, maybe he's got some plans to do some of that. We will find out, guys. We're going to wrap this edition of the AC Insider Podcast up. And be sure to tune in on our next one. We will have Kevin Van Dam himself doing a little Red Crest and Classic preview. And it is officially fishing season, folks. So get out there and get your strings stretched. Until the next one, I'm Danny with Vance. This is your AC Insider Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to this week's Angler's Channel Insider Podcast, presented by Sportsman's Warehouse. Also brought to you in part by Pro Charging Systems, makers of the Dual Pro Chargers, TH Marine, Trick Step, Toyota Bonus Bucks, Costa Conserve and Compete, and of course, anglerschannel.com your number one tournament bass fishing resource